we'd like to welcome to you this uh, special edition of Family Bible Time, because that's kind of what it's going to be tonight. But it's a privilege to be here, both in the place of Pastor Walker, and normally it would be Pastor Larson tonight, so here I am. So turn in your Bibles tonight to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off, kind of. And for those who've been able to be part of our devotionals on Sunday mornings, you kind of know where I'm going. We've been studying the lives of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. And for the sake of tonight, if you hear me happen to say Elijah, I probably mean Elisha, just so you know. So bear with me. Also, uh, his servants. I'm pronouncing his name Gehazi. If you pronounce it differently, you can correct me after the service. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll take care of that with good Christian love. But 2 Kings chapter 4 tonight, we're going to look at the life of, uh, I've titled this, A Great Woman of Great Faith in a Great God. There's a lot of greats in there, and all of those are warranted for different reasons. Some of them we'll see in our text. Uh, in fact, I think all of them, I dare say, we'll, we'll see in our text here. But uh, we're going to see all of those three great things in this text in Second Kings chapter 4 tonight. Now, I, I had been preaching through the book of Philippians, but I'm done now, so that means I get to do something else. And my thought was that I'm going to do a study on the kings. So I'm going to do that eventually, but not quite yet. So I think this is kind of a good bridge into that as we study the lives of these prophets. So once I get done with that, then we will get into looking at the lives of the kings, which, for one thing, I'm kind of interested in chronology all the years, how many years each of them served, which ones overlapped between the northern and southern kingdoms, and the different character traits and qualities of the different kings as well. And in fact, in the lives of Elijah and Elisha, yes, I didn't mean to say Elijah at that moment in time, we do see them interacting with the kings of their day. And that's true for any of the other prophets that happen to be around during that time, both good and bad. They were kind of a part of the king's courts, or I've kind of called it, it'd be like the, the president's cabinet, and you kind of have these prophets kind of on standby. But so we're looking at Elijah and Elisha, and particularly, not so much Elisha tonight, but the life of this woman, and we're going to see how her faith plays out in this chapter here. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer, and we'll get into our study for tonight. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be able to open your word for your people, and I pray that you would be with me. You know the circumstances surrounding the, the study for this message, and I pray that you would bless above and beyond what my words can do tonight, and that your Holy Spirit would impart an understanding which can only be given by you. And I pray that there would be a fruitful understanding tonight which will help your people uh, to live better lives as they live and try to serve you better with their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to start at verse number 8 tonight. Verse number 8, chapter 4, it says, And it fell on a certain day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, This is an holy man of... I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a certain day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. 
And he said unto him, And he said unto him, Gehazi, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for the king, for to the king, or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. First of all, tonight, we're going to see the receiving of the prophets here. Going back to verse number 8. It fell on a certain day that Elisha passed to Shunem. So I guess Elisha was kind of on a circuit here. And it just so happened that in his journey here, he passed through this area of Shunem. And there was this uh, person who is called this great woman. Uh, and some would say maybe it's because of the fact that her family was wealthy. And so therefore she was considered to be great in the community for those reasons. Uh, but whatever the reason, we're going to see other reasons why she was considered a great woman tonight. So it says there, and she constrained him to eat bread. Now, uh, that would be kind of like, uh, you know that so-and-so is passing through town. And so you call them up on their cell phone and you say, hey, you want to get together for coffee? Hey, uh, uh, you want to stay the night over at my house? Hey, you want to you go over to Applebee's for dinner? Hey, you want to, and just kind of, kind of twisting their arm a little bit. It's kind of the idea I get behind this word constraint here. But I say constraint to habit here in verse number eight, because uh, it says there at the end of the verse that as often as he passed by, so every time he happened to pass through that region, it says that he turned in thither to eat bread. It's like, well, you know, this I've, I've kind of made a friend here in Shunem, so whenever I pass through here, I'm going to stop by this this woman's house and I'm going to I'm going to have a little snack and then I'm going to go my way. So therefore, he made a habit out of this. So th this tradition was then born and. Yeah, I think sometimes we develop those kinds of traditions when we have those kinds of situations where maybe you get together with a friend for lunch and it just becomes a tradition that you get together with that friend and you're able to develop that relationship. So they were developing this relationship and we see it's going even a step further here in verse number nine now. I've called this perception to action. Verse number nine, and she said unto her husband, behold now, I perceive... I, I, I've kind of figured out, I've kind of grasped onto the fact that this is a holy man of God. And in fact, when you go through this chapter here, you're not going to see Elisha called by name as much as he's called a man of God. And so that's going to be the title that he has throughout this chapter and in other places as well. And that's true for a lot of prophets. They are called the man of God. And I know sometimes when I make people aware of the fact that I'm part of a church and that I have... Uh, different roles and uh, responsibilities within the church that, uh, you know, maybe in another meeting, and I've had people do this to me before, that, uh, oh, you're, you're that minister from that church, right? And you kind of develop a, a name and a reputation because of that position that you have. And so here uh, she says, I perceive that this is a holy man of God. This, this is a preacher man coming through here. We're going to take care of this preacher man, which passes by us continually. So how are they going to take care of him? It's going to lead to an action here. It says, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Have you heard people talk about prophets' chambers? Maybe you've heard about people uh, being hospitable to people who are preachers or missionaries or other such people, and they will actually set aside a room in their house 
to be able to accommodate these people that travel through. Now, what, what a wonderful tradition that would be uh, for anyone here if we have the means to be able to do that, to be able to invite someone in, a guest preacher, and that they wouldn't necessarily have to stay at a hotel. Now, maybe some of them prefer to do that. But again, to, to have the option to be able to have a nice home-cooked meal and just to have your own little home away from home, this is kind of what it turned into Elijah here. Because look what they did for him. Verse number 10, let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. He's going to have all of his modern, well, the, those kinds of modern commodities, I suppose. They'll, they'll be like us saying, oh, well, here's, here's gonna, we're going to give you a computer. And you're going to have you know, outlets so you can plug in your cell phone and charge your stuff. And you got your place for your iPad. We're going to give you a little desk there. Um, you know, a lamp so you can see. You, know, you have the light in the room, obviously, usually. But uh, so a, a means to, to be able to have that kind of a little getaway there. So that's what they did for this prophet. There are different verses in the Bible that talk about our hospitality towards people. And I've given a few there on the slide. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, which is good. We should be good to all men. But it says, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. So we want to take care of everyone, but we also want to make sure we're taking care of our own uh, primarily. And th that's a tradition that I think we as a church have taken to, especially with our Deacon Benevolence Fund. That is kind of the thought behind it. So hospitality towards God's people. Again, another verse there, Hebrews 13, uh, 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. And furthermore, let us be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby we may be entertaining uh, angels unawares. It, you know, it may be kind of like in the situation of Abraham. And you had the, the three that passed through, and they were on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But they were there, they made them that little feast, and they invited them into their tents. They, they, they killed the calf, and they made some, you know, gave them a glass of milk or... Uh, whatever the, the entire situation was, I can't remember the specific details, but they, it, and it was part of the culture too, and I think that was explained when Pastor Walker went over that when we talked about that passage. That's just part of the culture. And so God wants us to have that as a part of our culture too, to be hospitable towards his people. And one that perhaps you heard from Pastor Larson going through First Peter's, First Peter 4 9, says uh, to use hospitality without grudging. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe sometimes that that's kind of how we... Uh, some people might see it as a burden to try to take care of somebody, and so we might, we might feel like our arm is being twisted to try to take care of somebody. But God doesn't want you to feel that way when you're taking care of his people. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says that verse there. So, looking back at the text here, we see it continue on. So now we've gone from this action to an appreciation, which is going to lead towards recognition. So we're going to see his appreciation here. And it fell on a certain day, verse 11, that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber. So one of the times that he's coming through. And so he was laying there, and maybe they're just laying on his, on his bed. He's thinking to himself. And he talks to Gehazi, his servant, called a Shunammite. And so Gehazi had called her, and she stood before him. So... You kind of see what's happening here with who's talking to who and how this whole breakdown of the, the command structure is, how he's talking. Uh, see, he said unto him, so he's talking to Gehazi to transmit the message toward uh, the Shunammite woman. 
Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. It almost seems wordy to say it that way, but that's that's kind of the English there and how it's worded. But uh, you've been, and part of that is emphasis. You've you've really taken good care of us. So now, since you've taken good care of us, what should be done for you now? And so he lists these various things. Would you be spoken for to the king? You know, do you want do you want us to kind of bend the king's ear for some reason? You know, now maybe they're trying to head off the fact that this is. There's ulterior motives to this, but uh, perhaps not. Maybe they are. Uh, in fact, we're going to see a situation much later on in her life where that is going to be a factor, or the captain of the host. And so her answer, which is very interesting, she's he's, he's talking about this prestigious uh, audience with the king, and she says, "Rather, I dwell among my own people." In other words, thanks, but uh, you know. I have it fine right here. You don't need to speak to the king well for me. And I think that's good attitude for us to have when we have hospitality. Expect nothing in return and just be content with the fact that you've been able to serve somebody. So, I mean, they, they were still kind of bothered because I guess they really felt like she'd taken such good care of them that they wanted something to be done for her. So in verse 14, what then is to be done for her? So Elijah now is turning to Gehazi. And Gehazi is kind of observing the fact, you know, she doesn't have a child. And uh, her husband is old. Have you heard this before in the life of somebody? Uh, I could think of a couple. You know, you think back to maybe uh, Abraham and Sarah. They're in that situation. I've already brought up Abraham tonight. So Abraham, you know, was was well up in years. Sarah was well up in years. You know, how are they going to have a child? And, of course, the Bible talks about how... Uh, uh, they were able to be fruitful out of her dead womb. So uh, God was able to bless through that. And so they, they want God, they're asking God essentially to do a miracle in this sense here, uh, kind of along those lines. You know, think about also uh, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So that was a similar situation too, where she conceived in old age there. So this is what they're asking for her. So now in verse 15, they're going to announce this to her. So they said, call her. And so they called her. She stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, no, that's okay. <laughs> Nay, my Lord, thou man of God. In fact, really, she's she's heading towards a different response with that, that no there. But, uh, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine hand. It's like, you silly prophet. Don't you know how old I am? Come on. Me bear a child? What are you thinking? So uh, remember that phrase, because that's going to come up later as we look at this passage in chapter 4 here. So a, a touch of nobility here. And so another verse here, thinking about what God will do for those who take care of God's people. I have a reference, Matthew 10, 41 where it talks about how those who, hey, look, he's helping with verses. He receiveth, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. I don't have to turn my pages. This is, a, this is something. But you see, you see the example there of what Christ was saying in that little discourse there to his disciples. And this is when he's sending his disciples out to perform work in his name as well. So there is a reward, and that reward comes from the Lord. 
so God is going to reward his people for whatever that hospitality is. Don't worry about bending someone else's ear here on the earth to try to get a reward, because God in the, in the end will reward you for things that you've done uh, for good to help his kingdom. So moving on from receiving a prophet, now we see in a situation they're going to have a need to seek for a prophet. So we continue in verse 17 here. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And so, moving ahead here, we see the promise fulfilled in verse 17. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and it was exactly as Elisha had said. So, we see now what happens with this child, and why I wanted you to point out that phrase there in verse 16. Verse 18, it says, When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. So we're going to talk a little bit about the age of the child here in a moment. So verse 19, And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother, and he sat on her knees till noon, and then died. Just as quickly as this all happened, and just as quickly as she was blessed with this child, now this child is being taken from her. Now, I imagine this was a number of years later, so I did want to briefly discuss what was the age of this child. Well, a few different things that we can see from the text. So, verse number 18, we see that he went out to his father to the reaper. So, apparently, he was old enough to walk. Well, he, he could walk out. And he was old enough for daddy to bring him to uh, bring your son to work day. Because there he is going out to the reapers and he's observing what daddy is doing there at least. Uh, if not old enough to actually help maybe with some of the work. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad. So notice that. He said to a lad, carry him to his mother. So this, so he was probably old enough but not too old to where this lad was then going to have to carry him now to his mother. And so verse 20, brought him to his mother, and he sat on her knees. So the child sat on her knees, kind of like a, we have an example here in the front row of a, a child sitting on, the, on her mother's knees. And so how old was this child? I don't know. I might venture a guess that it was maybe almost 10 years old, somewhere in that range. I don't know that I have any authority to pinpoint a number, but based on some of the clues in Scripture, it's, that, that was some of my thinking. Those were some of the clues that I looked at, and maybe you can come to a different conclusion there. But So then what happened to this child? So we see some of the symptoms there in verse number 19, and he, he's holding on to his head, or you know, something is happening. Uh, I know one person I read said that it might have been a case of heat stroke. He's going out into the heat and during the harvest and you know you know what they tell you you know, drink plenty of water and make sure that uh, you're not overexerting yourself uh, I, I don't know what happened maybe he had some kind of a condition that was unknown that was that caused him to, to to suffer from this all of a sudden but whatever it was ended up being terminal we see that in verse number 20 because then that same day he dies there on his mother's knees at around noon. This very tragic that this mother would th think about her heart in all of this. How 
she had done all this good for this prophet, and this prophet had promised her this child. She receives this child and nurtures and cares for this child, and this child is growing up and, and having fun with his daddy and going out and seeing what daddy does. And then just somehow one day out of the blue, something just happens, and the life of this dear child that was promised to her by this prophet is now being taken from her. Yeah, how how betrayed would you feel if you were in that situation and you were this mother? We're going to see some of that played out a little bit later, but you know, maybe we can relate somewhat and, and have maybe some sympathy because it, it's not too long ago that we saw one of our own have to go through that kind of a situation and a trial and just the heartbreak that's involved with that. So. Again, I, I can't fully understand what this woman is going through. And perhaps some can understand more than others in this situation. But what what is this mother going to do now? We see in verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door upon him and went out. So... I mean, I, I don't know necessarily all the tradition behind this, or uh, what if there is some observance of tradition in this, but there is some connection with the man of God in that chamber, that special little chamber that they had made for him, that he had always come through there. Uh, and maybe you could take one route and say it was superstitious, and say that she's laying him on the bed of the prophet because there's some kind of magical properties, because the prophet had been there, that it's going to bring her child back to life. I probably wouldn't go that route, given what we're going to see in the text here. You know, maybe it was a, a practical reason. You know, it was the prophet's tradition to to go through, and whenever the prophet came through that part of town, he was going to stop here. And so, he when he came back, he was going to be able to do something about the life of this child. Perhaps it was something like that. Maybe there's some other reason that is completely unknown to me as to why, but... The text doesn't necessarily say why she did this, why he was laid on the bed of the man of God here. So she shut the door upon him and went out. So uh, that kind of covers the first heading there, association, and maybe somehow associating the life of this child with the prophets. So next we're going to see getting permission, verse 22. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come again. So we kind of see this earlier. Uh, I believe it was back in verse number 10 when she's having that initial discussion with her husband. And uh, you know, they're sitting up late, in, late at night and they're talking about what are we going to do for this prophet? And, you know, maybe they're talking about the budget or maybe they're talking about other things. You know, can we do this to add this addition onto our house to, that, to be able to accommodate this prophet? Well, we see her honoring her husband in this situation, which is a positive quality I wanted to point out in her. She, she is, uh, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men. You know, she's, she's asking permission is, is kind of the sense of that. Kind of like back in verse 10, she uses the same phrase. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee. You know, would you be so kind, Mr. Hubby Beard, to, to do this? You know, that might have been the sentiment back in verse 10. Now it's a little bit more urgent here in verse number 22, asking permission that she can have one of the servants and one of the donkeys. And notice there that she says, that I may run to the man of God and come again. 
So hold on to that urgency that she has here. Whatever has to be done, has to be done quickly here. She's going to go catch this man of God. So we see the permission. Now we see her conviction. Verse 23. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? Is it, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath? And she said, It shall be well. I mean, after all that she had been through, you know, maybe we just need to stop and sing hymn 275, It is well with my soul. Because that's, that's kind of... Uh, it seems like that's what's going through her head rather than maybe some other cynical thoughts that maybe she might have in this moment. It shall be well. Uh, and it's interesting what her husband says too. You know, this isn't this is one of the times that you would call a prophet here. What, what are you? Why are you doing this today? Uh, you know, and prophets would be invited along for some of these special ceremonies to perform sacrifices and whatnot. I'm thinking of Samuel. You know, remember back when he went to anoint King David there in the house of Jesse. You know, he had said, "Well, you know, tell them that I'm going to make a sacrifice." And so they invited everyone, and so then they had a get-together surrounding the prophet Samuel. So we see in verse 23 here her conviction. that, that It's just astound, astounding to me that she would have that kind, of, uh, that kind of mindset in this, given the tragedy that she's been through. But nonetheless, a good example that... All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God God is going to work this out somehow. So she says to them, it shall be well. So verse 24 now, we see her determination. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me except I bid thee. So this is now... Let's let's get into the car. Let's drive 90 miles an hour down the road. We need to catch this man of God before it's too late. There's some urgency in this and some I called it determination. <laughs> Interesting that even uses the word drive. You know, not not in the sense of driving like holding your hands on a steering wheel, but you know, trying to trying to move the animal along. You know, that maybe is more the sense of that when it says drive and go forward. So and then with the instructions also, you know, don't and don't don't let up on the gas either unless I tell you to. So again, take note of all of that sense of urgency behind this because we're going to see that later as we see your interaction with Elisha. So moving now from second point today, looking at the so we looked at the receiving of the prophet, we look at the seeking of a prophet. Now we're going to see how they are embracing the prophet. Verse number 25. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And this was several miles away from where she was. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And so now Gehazi is going to go out and run out to meet her. And so she answered, it is well. Is that, is, again, back to like verse 23, the, the, the amazing fact that she would answer in such a way. I mean, on the surface, it might seem like she's just trying to put on a good face. She's trying to, trying to look strong. 
you know, and maybe there is some of that. We're going to see some of her distress a little bit later on, but remember what she told her, her husband and her servants back in verse 23, it shall be well. She has a belief that things are going to work out. And so she conveys that same kind of confidence here to Elisha and Gehazi to, to answer his questions in such a way. And the, those very specific questions talking about, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? And specifically with the child? Because I'm sure that would have been on Elijah, Elisha's mind, considering the fact that Elisha had promised the child to her. And so now wanting to know the welfare of that very same child. She answered, it is well. Verse 27, And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. So, you know what, even a prophet doesn't know everything. You know, there, there are things that God uh, has to reveal through other means. Uh, and not necessarily tell him directly. So this is something that he had to figure out. You know, there's there's something else going on here. There's 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 actually something wrong here. And so she's there clinging on to his feet. So her soul is vexed within her. She's in some kind of distress. So we see her heart revealed. Now we're going to see them answering her urgency. I, I told you to hold on to that thought of the urgency there. Verse number 28. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? <laughs> it, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Lazarus died in John chapter 11, and then both Mary and Martha come up to Jesus with the question, If, he, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. It kind of seems like that kind of a question. And all that followed up with, well, I know that whatever you ask of God, God's going to do it for you. So there's that faith intermixed with that, which is why I labeled on the slide that it's a, a grief-stricken faith that is being shown here. She still has that faith that everything's going to work out, but still there's that tearing in her heart that this situation has even taken place. So we see that in the bridge between verse 26 and verse 27 when she says, it is well, versus... In verse uh, 28 there, when she's uh, kind of, it almost seems like lashing out at Elisha here. So Elisha is going to respond to her now by answering her urgency, as I've labeled there. So he says in verse 29, Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. You know, in other words, you need you need to get there in a hurry. So don't you know? Don't take time for pleasantries, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. So this is what he wants Gehazi to do. So then we see in verse thirty, the mother of the child said, "As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee." And he arose and followed her. The, the sense I kind of get from that is. Gehazi is not good enough to be able to take care of this issue. I want I want you to take care of this, Elisha. I, I want you to be the one who, who helps with this situation. So, hence there, she's kind of clinging on to him. And, and notice how this is all playing out here. He arose and followed her. So now, she's leading the way back to her house, and Elisha is following. 
So it's all right. We'll take it at your pace. So verse 31 now, we see Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. I realize the situation might be different from what I'm thinking of right now, but I can't help but think of the time after Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and they had that glorious moment up there. And then meanwhile, back down in the city, there were his other disciples there and there is this uh, demon-possessed boy there and they were trying to deal with him in some kind of way to help him and they couldn't do anything to help him. And Jesus has to condemn them for the lack of faith. Oh, thou of little faith. And so, uh, again, I can't help but think of that. And so there I say that they're failing her hopes. You know, they're, they're, they want to do something for this child, but so far they haven't been able to do anything. And sure enough, verse 32, when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. So the child was still dead, but the you know, the rod didn't do any. The staff didn't do anything to help the situation. This powerless disciple, as I've labeled him. So now we see that they're going to. He is going to take matters into his own hands here, in a sense, going a step further than perhaps Gehazi did. Now it's we don't have evidence in the text. I mean, Gehazi is just doing what Elisha told him to do. But we see a little bit of a different situation in verse 33. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain. So picture this now in the room. It's just Elisha and the child. So Elisha and the child alone there in the room. The door has been shut upon them. And now he is going to pray to the Lord. So we don't see that in, this, in Gehazi's encounter here with the son and Perhaps maybe that's why. Maybe Gehazi, uh, just for whatever reason, that just didn't be, occur to him because that he had been instructed by Elisha to, to do a certain thing. And, you know, sometimes I think to myself, when I'm trying to, to do things for God and I'm trying to operate in the power of the Spirit, you know, sometimes we can leave out the simple things like that. And, you know, we can be so worried about the work that we don't actually have the power of God upon us because we haven't asked God for that power. Now, we haven't we haven't taken that moment to address God in that situation. We're, we're busy just trying to do things. You know, that would be, you know, like me trying to come up here and preach without having prayed about any of this. So, you know, God, God's hands are tied sometimes when we don't give him the invitation to be able to come and work in a situation or in some way in which we're serving here. So verse 33, he prayed unto the Lord. Verse 34, so this is what he's doing now as a result of his prayer. He went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and he stretched himself upon the child. It seems kind of bizarre when you put all of that together and you get the picture of it, but uh, we see that the result at the end of verse 34 is that the flesh of the child waxed warm. Now, nothing other than that has happened up to this point, but uh, he's, it would seem that he's trying to use his body heat to try to, to warm up the child. You know, if from an earthly perspective, that's what it seems like. 
So then verse 35, then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, went up. I don't know, maybe he was absorbing the, the cold off of the child's body and he had to go and walk around. Kind of like we have to do on a, on a winter day sometimes because we're so cold in our rooms and, and we just can't sit down and we got to get our blood circulating again. Almost get that sense from verse 35. So he did that and then went up and stretched himself upon him. So he did the same thing again like verse 34. And says, then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. So somehow through this crazy circumstance, God performed a miracle and raised this child back. And so it says, the child sneezed seven times. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I think we each have our own idiosyncrasies when it comes to sneezing. Um, maybe twice, maybe three times. Maybe you can't stop sneezing once you start sneezing. You know, we all have our own little ways about our sneezing. But in this situation, it is the perfect number of sneezes. You know, because seven is the number of perfection here. And so he sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. But here we have this child restored to life again. And what, what an incredible situation. So in verse 36, he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. We've seen that phrase a lot too. Uh, going back and forth and communicating with her. So he called her, and when she was come in unto him, she said, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. I can't help but think about other parallels. How many times did we see in Jesus' ministry where this same exact scenario played out? Where Jesus went into a room alone with a child and performed a miracle. You know, there were witnesses present. I do want to also say that. Uh, and even think about later on, Peter, in the book of Acts, I believe there's a situation like that as well, where there is someone raised back to life after that kind of a situation. Uh, I want to say Acts chapter 9, or uh, somewhere around there, so maybe you can look that up and uh, we can determine that uh, outside of this meeting here. But again, there are similar situations where we see that kind of thing happening and playing out. So presenting her son there. So... We've gone from receiving a prophet to seeking a prophet to embracing a prophet. And if you skip ahead now to chapter 8, 2 Kings there, we're going to see the Shunammite woman come up again as we remember our prophets, finally. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse number 1. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. So giving them fair warning about what is going to happen. This is a number of years later, and there are situations that have happened with the Syrians, some encounters with that. And now there's a famine that is going to happen, and so he's allowing her to be able to take action in this. Verse number two. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. So first thing we see there is her continual observation. Even all these years later, she still has a respect for this prophet and observes what he has to say and is taking action based on what he said there. So that, that relationship that they cultivated from his going to and from Shunem and setting up that prophet's chambers, and you know, they, they're almost family now, in, in a sense. Uh, maybe not blood-related, but there's definitely that connection there between Elisha, uh, Gehazi even. We're going to see him come up again 
and this woman and her son. And so now we see uh, what I've kind of labeled in quotes a coincidental reunion. Verse 3. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with who is some Gehazi, just appears out of nowhere, it seems, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. I know, maybe, maybe they're just having tea one day, and just happens to be talking with Gehazi. And so, so tell me about Elisha and some of, the, some of the different things that you were able to do as part of his ministry. And, and then, of course, Gehazi said, boy, do I have a story for you. Now, this is after Second Kings chapter 5, where there's Naaman and the healing of Naaman. And it was pronounced upon uh, Gehazi that he would be a leper. So, again, it's interesting that he appears in this situation here. But uh, nonetheless, Gehazi appears in this situation. Verse 5, it came to pass as he was telling the king how he'd restored a dead body to life. He wanted to start with the, the highlight there. You'll never guess what happened in this situation with this story. Now, remember back in verse number three that this lady now, after the seven years famine, was coming back to her land. Uh, and it says she's crying unto the king for her house and for her land. So evidently, during that seven years while she was away in the land of the Philistines, that something had happened with her land. She had lost possession of her land, and now she needs to go to the king to get it back. Because, as we discussed in, I don't even remember what message it was at this point, but talking about uh, the, the rights of... Of people to retain their inheritance. It was supposed to stay within the families. And so she is taking advantage of that clause there. So it just so happens, I say coincidental reunion, that there's Gehazi talking to the king, talking about all the great exploits of Elisha, his master, and this, this uh, person that he had brought back to life and that behold, verse 5, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And so here she appears in the king's court while Gehazi is talking to the king. Boy, you know, they talk about in various situations, it's, it's who you know. It's having those connections, you know, whether it's jobs or real estate or, you know, whatever it is that, you know, it helps to have uh, contacts within uh, certain places of influence. And just so happens that Gehazi is here uh, bending the ear of the king. Remember how way back when Elisha was asking, well, do you want me to, to talk to the king for you? Well, here's Gehazi talking to the king, not because she wanted him to. It just, just so happens they're having casual conversation about Elisha here. And so Gehazi said, he sees her walk in, the end of verse 5 here, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. You'll never guess who just walked in the door. So again, a coincidental reunion there. So finally now, verse number six. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So she confirmed all the information. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. So, you know, if, if the king was maybe on the fence about it before, the fact that she walked in right when he was telling that story probably turned the tables in her favor. So, you know, I, 
it, it's interesting to to think about how humanly this worked out and how it seems like humanly it's a coincidence. But you know, who who is the one that's looking out for this woman? You know, she was demonstrating her faith in God through the horrible situation, and I believe God is honoring her and allowing her to be able to have favor with the king to get her land back in this situation, which, uh, again, should rightfully be done considering what the law says. So I say there is a careful restoration, full of care. He, she is being cared for, is kind of what I mean in, in that phrasing there. So her land is being restored to her. You know, And I believe that there is reward that attends us when we have that faith in God. God will honor us by being gracious to us and providing for us in these times of need. And you never know how God is going to work things out for our good because we love God and because we are the called according to his purpose. So some encouraging thoughts tonight as uh, we look at this great woman whose great faith in a great God allowed for this great situation to work out in her favor. And I believe God will give us that same favor so as we leave this place now tonight, let's consider those thoughts for ourselves and try to live with that same kind of conviction that she had. And let's see how God works in those situations.